0: Because it is the Quebec Library Suite. Starting with this Thursday, we will have the photo, please. The author will be here in person. We will have live music. It will be at 6.30. We'll have some jazz music before the author talks. Then we'll have the author, and she'll talk about her book. And you can also buy her book, and she could sign it for you. The The book is called The Paris Deception. It's by Bryn Turnbull. Then on Friday, we have a movie here called A Man Called Auto. It's at 2 p.m. Um, and also, we're to talk about courses that we are offering at the library. It's iPad for Beginners. Um, if you have an iPad and you don't know how exactly to use it, you can sign up to the library. You need to be a library member. It's for six weeks, uh, and it's on Wednesdays from 10.30 to 12, starting October 25th and it'll be $50 for six weeks. Also, next weekend, not this one, the next one, uh, we have the used book sale. It's also part of public library week. And on the 25th of October, we will have songs and stories of the separated. That program you need to register. It's uh, two o'clock here in the auditorium. And also, the last, last thing we wanna talk about, we will have Ken Jordan, R.H. Bolson uh, and another author, sorry, I can't remember his name, but the tickets are free um, and they'll be held here on Sunday, October 29th at 2 p.m. You could buy the books and they will be signing the books. There will be no memorabilia. So thank you everybody for coming and your search is awesome.
1: Thank you, Angela.
2: Yeah, Kenny Roy, he's uh, you member, the former goalie of the uh, Montreal Canadiens. Um, and the movie, A uh, Man Called Otto*. I've seen, it. it's a really wonderful movie, if you haven't seen it, it's quite a thoughtful one, quite quite worthwhile So obviously, uh, the subject of today was chosen for me, I don't even have to really think too hard about what to speak about. And we're going to talk about it in many, from many different angles, look at it in many different ways. First of all, of course, facts come first, and um, uh, the, uh, as far as I can ascertain, the latest casualty um, uh, 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 figures that uh, I read was over a thousand Israelis were killed in this operation. Uh, somewhere around 2,500 more were wounded, and somewhere between 100 and 150 people were that and taking back to Gaza. By the, um, by um, first, let's start off by saying this, that Israel is a modern, western, wealthy country. And often in statistics and in comparisons, it's lumped in with all of the western European countries. So Israel is considered somewhere around 20 between 20 and the 25th uh, wealthiest country in the world per capita. Um, but this week's events shows the world that Israel is not quite in the same category as the rest of the country. You know, you know um, Israel is not a Western European country, even though its outlook is Western European, its systems are Western European. It's located close to Western Europe, but it isn't in Western Europe. It's in the Middle East, with all of the negative connotations that that brings. So Israel is, lives in a rough neighborhood. And very often, when Israeli politicians are questioned about how come the Israeli military is active against uh, a certain group or against a certain place, they'll always answer the same way they say, look, We're not Denmark. We can't compare us to Denmark. We don't live in a peaceful neighborhood. And if you don't live in a peaceful neighborhood, you have to have means to protect yourself and defend yourself. So um, let's look firstly at why this attack took place. In other words, we know what the results are now. But the people who did this attack, they didn't know. They had no idea what the results would be when they carried out the attack. For all they knew, they could have been stopped at the border and have accomplished not all that much. Uh, you remember, of course, that the world assumed and thought, and Israel, Israel itself thought that it had a pretty impenetrable border at the Gaza-Israeli line. They had installed all kinds of sound detectors. They dug down to make a concrete wall completely all around Gaza so that the terrorists wouldn't be able to to dig underneath it and come back up again, which they had done before. Um, Israel has all kinds of drones, all kinds of spy satellites, all kinds of information, including paid spies, uh, in the Gaza itself. Um, Israel has uh, issued somewhere between 15 and 20,000 work permits for Gazans to cross into Israel daily to do their work. And you would have expected them to ask these people, you know, you see anything extraordinary happening there lately? You know, if you have some information, you know, here's $100, let us know. So with all of that, with all of those tools, Israel was 100% surprised by this um, action. Even more serious was uh, the information that I read today in the New York Times. Again, I'm just telling you what I read. That the Egyptian intelligence officer the chief of Egyptian intelligence spoke to Mr. Netanyahu himself and said, listen, something big is coming up in the next
1: few weeks.
2: Now, Mr. Netanyahu denies that he ever received that call. My question is, who are you going to believe? Why would an Egyptian intelligence officer reveal that he spoke to Mr. Netanyahu? What does he have to gain from And what does Mr. Netanyahu have to gain by denying that he ever got that call? My my guess would be on the Egyptian intelligence office. Mr. Netanyahu has plenty of reasons to deny he got the call. Because if he didn't get the call and didn't do anything, that's pretty bad. Right? So chances are that's exactly what happened. In fact, the intelligence officer said that Mr. Netanyahu said, you know, we're too busy in the West Bank and um, I don't have much kind of, uh, uh, let's say, reason to go ahead and fortify the Gaza border because we'll have all this activity to look after in the West Bank. That's what the head of Egyptian intelligence, Mr. Kamel, said that Mr. Netanyahu said. So let's let's leave that aside. Let's go back to saying, what did Hamas try to accomplish? What was their, well, not only what was their reason, but kind of what did they hope, what did they hope would happen? Um, Well, there's a few different things. A few different, uh, first of all, before I say that, let's say that this operation was not put together. In in one week. This was an operation that was planned probably over a year or somewhere a bit less than that. The operation consisted of crossing the Israeli Gaza border in 14 different places. It also consisted of people flying air gliders over the border. In other words, these things that looked like a bicycle with wings that they flew over the border. It also consisted of uh, manning uh, uh, boats, kind of those rubber dinghies, with people in them with guns to try to land on the Israeli sites. So it was a land, sea, and air operation. It also consisted of shooting off somewhere between 3,000 and 5,000 rockets simultaneously at Israel. So it was really a large-scale operation. It took a large amount of planning, coordination, um, getting all the supplies together, uh, getting all the weapons together, getting all the soldiers together. It seems as if, from what I read today, that the Israelis found 1,500 bodies of Hamas terrorists dead in Israel. So that means that they sent in well over 2,000 people to do this operation. So it wasn't a fly-by-night operation. This was something really serious. Um, So what was, from the Hamas point of view, what was their reasoning for doing this and for doing this now? Let's try to figure this out for starters. Um, they had a few things, a few things to to uh to to, to look at and to consider. Um, number one is that they are in a constant uh competition with the Fatah party in the West Bank. The Fatah party is falling apart. Mr. Uh, Abbas, the leader of the Palestine um, administration, is 87 years old. He has no chosen successor. His regime is corrupt. Um, and, this, and the Hamas's aim is to win over the support of the Palestinians living in the West Bank. Uh, there were elections held in 2006, um, which the Hamas won more votes than the Fatah won. And when the Fatah refused to give Hamas the leadership of all of the Palestine, Hamas, which won strongly in Gaza, took over Gaza and made it their own kind of state. And uh, that's how the split between the West Bank and Gaza happened. So what they would like to do is to take over both parts of Palestine, the Gaza and the West Bank. So that's one consideration. A second consideration um, is that the Saudis uh, were making overtures to the US to make some kind of a peace agreement with Israel. And um, for sure, the hope of the uh, Hamas was to disrupt this, um, this
1: uh,
2: happening because they didn't want to be forgotten by the whole Arab world um, and the Palestinian cause to the abandoned for the sake of some kind of a peace between Israel and the whole Arab and Muslim world because where Saudi Arabia goes, the rest of the Muslim world could fall. So this is one attempt to try to stop that. The idea that the Hamas would be a kind of a uh, civil administration in Gaza, in other words, that their prime goal would be to look after the needs of the people of Gaza, which there are two and a quarter million. This consideration was something that the Israelis were were kind of duped into believing that the uh, well-being of the citizens of Gaza was the main aim of Hamas. And Israel was happy that this would be the case, because the Secret Service of Israel of Israel, the Mossad of Israel, had been warning the Israeli government for a long time that the more impoverished and desperate of the people of Gaza would be, the more likely there would be an attack on Israel from the Gaza Strip. And the Israeli administration was, uh, under this government, was very unwilling to believe those kind of devices because they have such hard in power that their, their goal is to try to make life as miserable as possible for the people in Gaza um, because of the nature of the way these parties view the Middle East of But in the end, the secret service prevailed on Israel, and they gave out, like I said before, f- between fifteen and eighteen thousand daily work permits for people to go to work in Israel, where they make a low pay for Israel standards, to a high pay for Gaza standards. And if you take those fifteen thousand and multiply it by, I would say, meaning the size of families that these people support, it comes out to a fair bit of people. But it's still only hundred or 150,000 people out of two and a quarter million. So the few work permits that were handed didn't amount to a, a sea change in the living standards of the people of Gaza. But the prime name of Hamas wasn't to assure a better quality of living for the citizens of the units. They still are a military organization first and foremost, And the destruction of the state of Israel is their goal written in the constitution. So that's where their um, concentration was. They have many prisoners in Israel. Uh, The head of Gaza itself, Mr. Shinbar, was a prisoner in Israeli prisons for years. And there are many, many other citizens, um, many other Gazans who are still in the, um, uh, living in Israeli prisons. So another one of the another one of the uh, aims was to do something to get those prisoners out, there. and that's where the taking hostages comes into play. Because if it wasn't, why would they bother taking any hostages? You know, it wasn't. It it was only it's only really to exchange them, as has been done in the past. Two times at least, where Israelis have been exchanged for uh, prisoners living in in for prisoners imprisoned in Israel. And like I said, some of the best examples are some of the present leaders of Hamas were all in Israeli jails in one. So those that's some of the thinking that the Hamas had. Uh, in order to um, to do this operation. Uh, besides that, it's a question of saying, look, um, the Palestinian situation hasn't changed. Um, if we don't do anything about it, nothing will change, and uh, uh, we are uh, our, our popularity in Gaza in general has been dropping according to pollsters who are taking polls in Gaza. And they had to do something to beef up their popularity in Gaza in the short term. And pretty well, pretty well, all the people who live in Gaza are people who attribute their bad living situation to Israel. There's almost nobody who would say our bad situation in Gaza is the fault of Hamas. They all would say our bad situation is the result of Israel. Um, Why? Well, um, Israel, uh, as I said before, has closed the border and doesn't allow any travel between the and Israel. It's body number one. Gaza is surrounded by a boycott uh, by Israel for not allowing uh, many goods to go into the country. Gaza has been prevented from having a seaport or an airport. The fishermen who live, who, are, who uh, you know, work on Gaza's coast are forbidden from going more than a couple of miles out to sea. So all of these restrictions are perceived by the people in Gaza as things which are making their miserable lives even more miserable. And of course, the whole reason they ended up there in the first place, more than half of the people living in Gaza are refugees from the 1948 war. So clearly, they're not on the side of Israel when it comes to deciding why their lives are in such bad condition, even compared to the lives of the Palestinians in the West Bank. Uh, the fact that their lives are miserable is proven by the large amount of refugees who are trying to who try to uh, escape from Gaza to get out to Europe, one way or another. So many times, when you hear of uh, when you hear of these uh, you know boats that are sinking in the Mediterranean for the refugees, uh, a lot of them are Palestinians. And a lot of those Palestinians are people from Gaza who somehow get out to Egypt and then try to get to uh Europe, or people who uh might even leave from Gaza itself uh from little boats and try to get across the sea, which doesn't happen very often. So that's those are some of the some of the kind of um uh, thinking of of um, 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 why this operation is carried. Now, some people have said that this operation in Gaza is similar to the 1973 war in in Israel between Israel and Egypt. Remember, we saw the movie Golda. Some of you saw that movie, I'm sure. So that will be dealt with the 1973 war, and the the initial the initial start of it was in the same thing. We had a Jewish holiday in 1973 called the Yom Kippur War. The Egyptian troops that were on one side of the Suez Canal crossed the canal, surprised the Israeli troops, moved into the Sinai itself, uh, fought many battles with the Israelis uh, before they were finally driven back, uh, you know, four or five days after the confrontation started. But the similarities are that it was on a holiday. It was a surprise. There was an initial sort of victory by the um, Egyptian forces before the Israelis caught their breath and managed to chase them all back. Uh, the, those are the similarities. The differences are that Egypt was a, a country, that the people fighting the battle on both sides were only soldiers. There were no civilians involved. There was no kidnapping involved. Um, there was no killing of, 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 of harm of, of, of uh, people without weapons. So it was uh, it was part of an ongoing battle, and not a terrorist attack on a large scale, which is what this particular action was. Um, but the, the final results of this whole battle were just, you know, in the first few days. But my prediction is, is that um, in the long run, Israel will benefit from this uh, attack, as happened in the nineteen seventy three pre-war, um, and, uh, uh, you know, uh, The 1948 war, when when the Arab nations attacked Israel from all sides, um, Israel in the end they lost one percent of the population. They didn't lose uh, a thousand people, but they lost six thousand people when they only had six hundred thousand people. But again, Israel expanded its state uh, by uh, quite a lot. what would have had, had it not been an the So the um, the uh, the Hamas people said themselves that the divisions in Israeli society were, were one of the one reasons why they decided whether it would be a separation. They felt that Israel was so distracted by the Many civil war going on in the country that they they would be paying attention to what goes on on the Gaza border and and Hamas themselves said that and it's true um, when when um uh, reporters uh, were looking into this whole affair um, they the Israeli military themselves said. We took soldiers away from Gaza and put them in the West Bank in order to um, the fight against the terrorism that was occurring there. Another uh, another hope of this uh, action by the um, by the Hamas was that other Palestinians would join in and other Arabs would join in in the uh, in the attack on Israel. So, in other words, once they opened the door, they were hoping that there would be a civil uprising. Uh oh. Yeah. I don't oh, sorry. So then. Yeah. <laughs> Where so they were four. do you think the batteries are going? I don't know. I don't know, but it's working out, but I'll try. Yeah, we this one here. Yeah, leave this one here in case, just in case. Yeah, they'll they talk to each other. Um, so they were hoping that the Lebanese in Lebanon, the Hispola, will attack Israel from the north, that there would be a civil uprising uh, of the Palestinians in the West Bank. And they were even hoping that Arab-Israelis, Palestinians living in Israel, would join them in attacking Israel from the inside. But that was their hope, to create a whole sort of kind of a four-corner attack on Israel itself. And that they would be the ones opening the door. So far, that hasn't happened. I have to point out to you uh, a speech which
1: probably
2: didn't get that much attention. But the adult in the room was the Mr. Abbas, Mansur Abbas, the leader of the Ram party in Israel. Um, the Ram party in Israel was in the last coalition government when Prime Minister Bennett was the Prime Minister. It was the first time that an Arab body that ever joined actively an Israeli government. And uh, he's in the opposition now, of course, with everybody else. And he made a speech immediately the day of this attack. His speech said, I am addressing all the Arabs living in Israel and in the West Bank, all the Palestinians. Please don't get involved in this action. Don't lend support to the terrorists. Um, Don't give the Israelis an excuse to attack you for people living in the Palestine side. And for the Arab Israeli people, we said, look, uh, our country is one country, and uh, we uh, as a country are being attacked. And I'm asking the Israeli Arab people to be loyal to the state. Now, that was a speech he gave. Um, and so far, so far, it's pretty well worked out. The um, there, There's been a couple of uh, smaller uh, uh, confrontations in the West Bank. And so far, from the point of view of the, uh, and the inside of Israel so far, there hasn't been any hostilities. Because we remember, last time, remember, uh, the city of Ramallah was was pretty well almost burned down by uh, inter ethnic uh, uh, hostilities between Israeli Arabs and Israeli Jews. So, so far, this hasn't happened, which is the definite bonus. The Hezbollah, for whatever reason, they've shot a few rockets into Israel, but so far, that's been relatively quiet. Now, the other thing you might ask is, well, Israel is famous for having this Iron Dome system, this system that shoots down rockets as they come over. And if you might recall, President Zelensky and the Ukraine asked Israel for these rockets because they said, "Look, these are the most sophisticated ones, we need them. And yet, and yet, despite that, you know, there have been actual rockets landing in Tel Aviv. A, uh, there were a couple landing in Jerusalem, on the outskirts of Jerusalem. They landed in Ashkelon. They landed in Lechobot. Uh, they landed in, uh, in uh, Mishal Matzion. Suburbs in Tel Aviv got hit by rockets. The calculation of Hamas was very simple. If we shoot out 5,000 rockets, they're not going to shoot down 5,000 rockets. Because first of all, the rockets that Hamas shoots cost about $200, $300 a rocket. And the iron dome protection rockets are about $50,000 each. So all they have to do is just you know use up all their store of, of iron domes, and then they won't have any more of it. How did Hamas manage to gather together 5,000 rockets? It's a question, of course, that uh, many people have, and they get smuggled in in pieces, one way or another. They make themselves out of just pure metal. They make the the tubes of the rockets, and um, and all the uh, control systems are small enough to be brought in to Gaza, uh, either smuggled in or brought in sort of, I mean, smuggled in being uh, underneath tunnels or just brought in by visitors who come to Gaza one way or another. Um, So so that that's some of the thinking of Hamas of how, or not how they did it, why they did
1: it. Um, Um, So, so, so what have
2: been the results of this, okay? Think of this, okay? Think of the before and that. Before this attack, Israel was completely divided. It was the worst division in Israeli history. 38 weeks in a row, hundreds of thousands of people were showing up to protest against the government. People serving in the reserves of Israel said, we're not going to go to service because this government is anti-democratic, it's breaking the, the basic constitution of Israel, and we're not going to fight for a government that doesn't think uh, of what is best for its citizens. Um, people were choosing to leave the country. Uh, I was telling you about a poll and said that one-third of Israelis said They would leave the country if they could. Um, The world in general, uh, especially uh, governments which are kind of left-wing governments, who love to side with the underdog people in general, love to side with the underdog and would criticize Israel, and Israel's behavior gave them so many excuses to criticize the country. Israel's behavior against its own people, Israel's behavior against the, um, the Palestinians who were under their control. Uh, you know, it, it was kind of almost normal that criticism of Israel would be in the mainstream press. Let's put it like that. So, what this attack has done is completely reversed that. They've united the country uh, completely. Nobody said they're gonna not serve in the reserves. The Israelis living abroad have come back to the country to try to get into uniform to go serve in the reserves. Uh, Jewish communities around the world, of course, including the meeting yesterday. Uh, which I was watching on Zoom, which was a wonderful meeting, um, have given support, not just uh, morally, but financially as well. Countries all around the world have strongly supported Israel. It's not the usual, well, we want peace on both sides, and we want this, and we want that, but strongly supporting Israel, including Prime Minister Trudeau, who gave the strongest possible speech you could imagine, including um, President Biden, who was doing the same thing, including the President uh, Macron, uh, Rishi Sunak in Great Britain. Uh, You saw the Israeli flag being projected on uh, the Empire State Building, on uh, the obelisk in Buenos Aires, on um, the Brandenburg Gate in Germany, Even on the public building in Baku, the capital of Azerbaijan. So, I mean, a wholehearted support of Israel um, has come out of so many of the world capitals. Not all, of course, not the Arab world in general, not Russia. Um, You know, uh, China has been sort of kind of neutral ish, you know. But pretty well, all of the non-Muslim world, uh, and not even all of the non muslims has come out very strongly in support of Israel because they see the nature of this attack. It wasn't a military attack. It was a terrorist attack. So they united Israel as a country which was completely divided. They pushed the world to support Israel in the strongest possible way which before they weren't doing. So these are the negative outcomes for Hamas of this action, which I don't know if they were
1: counting on it
2: or not. I don't know if they were thinking that far ahead or not. But that's what the results were. Now, the other thing that they definitely knew was that this this attack would would, would result in a counterattack. That's for sure knew. Um, and they knew that this would lead to destruction uh, on a big scale in Gaza. Now, you know, it's happened before. This is not the first part. You know that in 2014, Israel sent tanks and troops into Gaza itself to quote, get rid of Hamas for once and for all. Obviously, it didn't work because they're still there. Um the 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 Hamas might have might hope that Israel comes into Gaza with the with their military, because that way they can show the population of Gaza that Israel is the invader, that Israel is destroying your homes, that Israel is destroying your lives, and we are the only ones to resist. We're the only ones who can protect you as best we can. So that is another motivation for why they're doing this. Israel goes into Gaza again, they'll have the same problem that they had before, which is that they are fighting on a whole ground of a terrorist organization, which has had years to dig tunnels, to plant movie traps, to plant mines, to just think of a tank going through a city. All you have to do is be on the roof of any of the buildings there and just shoot down the, those uh, rockets and self propelled grenades, it's like they're sitting ducks. Not only that, but any soldiers that capture, they can immediately make them disappear down some hole somewhere um, that no one will ever find The whole part of Gaza is, is, is rife with underground tunnels, interconnecting tunnels with escape hatches, with food, with lights, with batteries. The people could live down there for months. And that's probably where the leadership is right now of the uh, the Hamas. So it's no easy task for Israel to do that. And let's say Israel does do that. Let's say Israel goes into Gaza and decides to take all the casualties that this is going to entail. And they end up taking control of the whole Gaza Strip, Which is, as you probably may know, it's 10 kilometers wide and 40 kilometers long. It's not big, right? It's less than the island of Montreal, pretty much. It's, it's smaller than the island of Montreal. So,
1: um,
2: So Israel manages to take over. The the Hamas are hiding. They're hiding. They don't know where the leadership is of Hamas. They're somewhere among 2 and a quarter million people. Then what? What's Israel's plan once they take over the Gaza if they decide to do that? Now what? They have two and a quarter million people who obviously uh view them the way i said before they destroyed hundreds of thousands of, of dollars worth of real estate by blowing up buildings so far somewhere around 700 Gaza's have been killed and obviously it's going to be much more once
1: this goes in
2: but then what does Israel do at that point uh, the reason why Israel moved out, Israel occupied the Gaza from 1967 until 2005. So you're talking 40 odd years. How come Israel left Gaza in
1: the first place? I mean, there wasn't a war at that time. There wasn't a peace agreement at that time.
2: So why did they leave? Remember, at that time, there were even 5,000 Jewish settlers living in the Gatsby, in in settlements. They left because it was not worth the trouble to stay there. They were getting attacked all the time, and they had no way of defending themselves. They would put the mines. They would shoot soldiers. Um, It's a warren of, 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 you know, a densely populated city of people who don't like you. So if you're walking around or driving around, you're a sitting duck. And at some point, the other Israel figured, you know what? The hell, it's not worth it. We're not gaining anything by being here. And if we just get out, we cut our losses. We cut our losses in terms of money, to support this occupation. And we cut our losses in terms of soldiers that were losing every single day, one here, one there, two ambushes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they paid a price to do that because they had to evacuate the Jewish settlements who were definitely not pleased and then disagreed with this whole operation of evacuation. So they had to face that political difficulty. And even to face that political difficulty, they still agreed it's worth. So now, if they go in to the Gaza, then what? Like I said, what's, what's the idea? What's the plan? They say we have to get rid of Hamas once and for all. But did they think of, that? The people will all of a sudden turn to become, you know, an Israeli patriots. You think they say, "Wow, Hamas ruled over us." And, then, and, and and for years and now we're free and we want democratic elections and we want a better standard of living and all that when when israel evacuated gaza in 2005 they left working greenhouses that were worth hundreds of thousands of dollars if not millions uh and they left them for the gazans to to take over to produce agricultural products and specially made greenhouses. Soon as they got got there, the gases destroyed the greenhouses. Because they said, we don't want any gifts from Israel. We don't want to be dependent on Israel at all. So you know, of course, now that Israel has cut the electricity, cut the water, and cut all the food uh, imports in, into gas. So what they're doing, of course, is trying to to make the lives of Gazans difficult. Again, for what end? Well, one end end is simply, of course, revenge. I mean, you have to respond in some way when the people are just so shocked by what happened. So revenge is one thing. But if Israel enters Gaza and takes lower Gaza, I mean, are the people going to say, oh, you know, thank you so much for turning the water back on. Or are they going to say we hate you because you turned the water off in the first place? So, so this is um, you. Know, you know, these are just some of the some of the thinking that, um, that 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 is going on as 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 a proof of how united Israel is today. The on Shabbat. The Hasidim, the ultra Orthodox Jews, drove the soldiers to their bases to break Shabbat in order to, to do that. Um, uh, like I said, now politically, there have been offers to make a coalition government by the opposition parties. They said, look, Israel is in such a crisis, we have to act with one voice, we cannot be divided. So far, Mr. Netanyahu has not uh, taken up that suggestion, but he may, he may. Uh, One of the offers came with the condition that you get rid of the Jewish power party and the religious settler party from the government, because they are in part responsible for what for this whole war in an indirect way, as I mentioned before. Uh, So far, of course, this hasn't happened. The grand coalition hasn't taken part. But one thing I can tell you for sure is that Mr. Netanyahu's political life is finished. Uh, Whether he resigns now or whether he gets kicked out of the next election in a massive massive, uh, uh, loss is for sure going to happen remember the golden mayor who committed a far less um uh, a far less and you know, a sort of a far less mistake uh she was tossed down as soon as the next election happened in Israel so I mean to say uh her party was tossed up um so that's for sure his his political life is finished he, he promoted himself as the king of security of Israel. I will keep you safe, and only I can keep you safe. And now, everybody in Israel, of course, says the same thing. Now is not the time to cast blame. Now is not the time to throw stones. Now is not the, the time to divide ourselves by, by saying whose fault is what? We have to win this war first, and then we'll look after this. But for sure, they're going to look after it. That's for sure. Because in Israel, nothing matters more than security. That's the first thing. Israelis know that they live in a tough neighborhood. They know that they have enemies all around, who would like to get rid of them. And if Israel can't keep the state secure, and if it all goes on nowadays with with modern uh, technology, with modern media, with social media, it's all out there. Seeing pictures of, of grandmothers being being taken away, seeing pictures of people slaughtered, 260 people going to that to that music festival were slaughtered in cold blood on video. So how what what can Mr. Netanyahu say can defend himself? Pretty well nothing, as far as I can see. Um so but the, you know, that like I said, that's something for later. Um uh, let me just see what else we Yes, in, in terms of support, I was talking about world support, you know, that um, the US is sending a warship to the Eastern Mediterranean. The US has warned Iran not to get involved in this war. They've warned Lebanon not to get involved in the war. They're probably bringing more reinforcements for the Iron Dome missiles, like a replacement. Uh, replacement missiles for that because uh, Raytheon company in the U.S. makes those same uh, missiles that are used in the Iron Dome system. Um, um, I thought in uh, uh, how many of you went to the meeting last night in the GILP? Any of you? No? It was a my favorite line was Rabbi Koko, who's, uh, as you know, uh, a, a, a fond admirer of Mr. Nitagami. And he was saying that, you know, in a speech that was supposed to be kind of like uniting people, he was saying, don't believe what you hear on MSNBC, on CBS, on NBC, on NPR. As far as he's concerned, you know these networks are broadcasting fake news. Only Fox News, according to him, you know has the real has the real news. It was a stupid thing to say in a in a kind of a meeting that's supposed to be a community wide, uh, you know, effort. There, what was so impressed to me was that the Quebec government, the CAQ government, sent to two ministers to show up and to declare the unreserved support that Quebec has for Israel, that the Quebec government has for Israel. Uh, one of them spoke uh, uh, for five minutes, saying how Quebec um, is, is just uh, is supportive of the country, wishes that this, you know, you know, that things turn out well that Quebec and Israel have some strong ties to each other. Quebec was about to open a kind of a cultural bureau in, in Israel. And it was, it was considering that there's plenty of opposition to Israel in Quebec. Considering that um, you know, Montreal itself has today, somewhere around more than 300,000 Muslims living in Montreal, it's like, uh we're talking more than 10% of the population today uh of Montreal is Muslim, Greater Montreal. Uh you know, it's it's quite a strong, it's a very, very strong gesture, we'll say, that the Quebec government made I read, in case you want to know who it was, it was him. And um it was such a heartwarming speech. I was really surprised to, to hear. It. Of course, Anthony Van's father spoke so well, and um, uh, you know, for for you know, to, to unite, to as I said, to unite the whole world, the whole reasonable world in favor of Israel was one of the uh, results of this invasion. But let
1: me just see if I have any notes. Um
2: yeah of course needless to say um, any operation that Israel carries out is going to be complicated by the hostages that's really a consideration Um, in the past Israel has shown extreme willingness to pay a high price even to get back dead bodies from uh, Lebanon or from, um, from Gaza and now it's not one person. Remember, they released a thousand prisoners to get back Gilad Shalim, who was kidnapped and he was held there for six years, or more. I think it was something like six years. Don't I'm not you know don't catch me on that one. I'm not sure, but it was something like that. Now they've got one hundred and thirty, including women and children and old people. So um, you know, if Israel carries out some sort of massive invasion. Uh, Hamas on television will uh, start killing hostages. I mean, if they did it on television in Israel, why wouldn't they do it on television in Gaza? Uh, So that's really a consideration. Um, It's it's really a tough decision for Israel to make, to decide how to proceed in this situation. Um, Um... um yeah let's just speak i'm gonna finish off by talking a bit about the economic the economic uh up, uptake of this uh this this operation what has it done to the world in general so the price of oil jumped up by five dollars a barrel in the first trading day possible because of just the general fear of instability of what can go on in and the oil trade as a result of this, the fear that this fighting might spread elsewhere in the Middle East. That's one thing. Israel cashed in 30 billion dollars of US dollars that they sold in order to keep the value of the shekel from plunging. Um and this, uh, countries around the world flew planes in to take their citizens out. So, this is another important, a different factor here. Israel has so many foreigners living in the country. There's so many dual citizens of Israel and another country that, like they say, 11 Americans were killed, two Canadians were killed, four Argentinians were killed. Some people from Thailand were killed, and some were taken hostage. Um, pretty well their citizens pretty, citizens of course from France were killed from Italy were killed Germany were killed um it turns the conflict into a kind of international um effort because these countries that they know they have hostages, they're right now talking to intermediaries, Qatar, for example, who will talk to Hamas to say, hey, we have Americans, you're holding Americans, if you want us to do, you know, if you don't want us to get involved, you better get them released, one way or another. So that there's really so many people in that situation. And it draws those, the, 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 those countries who have citizens who are killed and were kidnapped, it draws them into the conflict. It shows these countries, you know, how much of a terrorist organization Hamas is. And,
0: again, I don't
2: know if Hamas figured that this could happen, but this is an extra complication to their whole sort of game plan, that they have the whole world trying to get their their hostages free or blaming Hamas for killing. I mean, if if the United States has gone to war, to war against countries who have harmed their citizens abroad, uh, the Spanish American War, for example, in 1898, the, the, one of the causes of that was just that. So um, it just drew, it draws the world closer to Israel, in addition to drawing Israel closer to itself. Those are two really <laughs> important uh, achievements uh, that, that Hamas has done. Um, so we're going back to business. So. Um, all of these people leaving, in is, leaving Israel. Planes came from Romania. Planes came from Serbia. Um, planes are coming from all around the world to evacuate all of their people. All of the tourism in Israel has stopped. Flights to Israel, commercial flights have uh, have almost completely stopped. So this is going to be a major blow to Israel's economy. This 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 um, this war. And of course, it will affect Israel in in Israel's credibility in the long term. Israel promoted itself as a security expert selling security systems all around the world. Drones, spy spy satellites, telephone equipment, all kinds of spy gear. And now people, their competitors will say, well, don't buy from Israel. Look at what look at you know, look at all that spy stuff got. So this is a this is not only it's an economic blow to Israel as well as a prestige blow to Israel and a political blow to Israel. it, it, it it's all that all a bit of blood. And I, I I would finish off by saying that the Israeli government, Mr. Ben in particular, the, the security minister, what was he concerned with lately? How to make the lives of Palestinian prisoners worse? When they were allowed to take showers once a week, he decided to make them take showers only once a month. He was saying the food that they're giving the Palestinian prisoners is too good. He wants he wanted to he ordered that their conditions be made worse. So um, the uh, and of course the the flashpoint of the. Al-Aqsa Mosque, you know, the mosque that's on the, the temple compound in Jerusalem. Mr. Ben-Vir has decided that he wants to go up there as often as he can just to show who's false. And, you know, the last time this happened, uh, that's when the um, the Intifada broke out. The Intifada of 2000 broke out precisely for that reason that this mosque has such symbolism all across the Muslim world, that if Hamas can convince the Muslim world that the Jews and the Israelis are desecrating it, this is a perfect uh, opportunity for them to try to fight back. And Mr. Ben-Veer said, I don't care. Um, You're not, Jews are not allowed to pray the agreement that they made was First of all, the kingdom of Jordan is uh is, is their responsibility to look after that that ter- that piece of uh, area. And you know, all these radical religious um people have said, you know what, we're gonna go up there and pray anyway. And they take selfies of themselves praying uh on the temple mount which are not supposed to do. So, this is showing, as far as they're concerned, this is showing their people how, how smart they are and how aggressive they are. But it's also showing the Arab world how the, the mosque is being desecrated by Jews praying there. And so, uh, that's why I'm saying that in an indirect way, this government is responsible for what happened. Obviously, It's not directly responsible because Hamas is going to do what they're going to do. But when the previous government was in power, we didn't have these kinds of daily attacks in the West Bank, and we didn't have, obviously, this huge operation. So the attitude of Israel toward the Palestinians is a factor in uh, determining what the actions of the Palestinians uh, are going to be. So, I'm going to stop there. I've had a, quite a lot to think about. Uh, and let's hear what you might have to say about this. And I'm sorry that my my, my, my friends over there left. I hope they had something better to do. <laughs> um, okay, so any comments or questions? <laughs> no. Can you speak? Maybe stand up
1: so I can hear you in this, or see you a bit. Yeah. Should we give him a mic?
2: I wasn't there. I wasn't parting to the hall. I can tell you what I read in the New York Times today. What I read is what I said. What really happened, I have no idea. But uh, you know, like I said, if you have to believe one or the other, I would believe the head of military intelligence in Egypt, who confesses to the world. Remember, Egypt was not a friend of Israel. He confesses to the world that he spoke to Mr. Netanyahu to (inaudible) warn him. He took. He took no
1: action.
2: He, uh, that's why he denied that he got the call. Better, better to deny you got the call than to say, "Oh, I got the call, but I didn't do anything about it, and look at what happened." Right. So that's what I'm saying. Chances are he got the call, and he's just covering. You know what. Um, yes, over
1: here, yeah. Well, okay, the question is, what
2: do I think is going to happen to the hostages? My, my, my feeling is, first of all, they ask the Israeli government, are you negotiating to get the hostages out. And Israel said, we're absolutely not negotiating. We're too busy fighting the war. That tells me they're absolutely negotiating. Um, Qatar, the country Qatar is the, um, um, well, two countries took part and have taken part in relationships between Israel and Hamas. Egypt is number one and Qatar is number two. Qatar is the country which has been paying billions of dollars to us to help them out. And they're doing it with Israeli support and with Israeli uh, cooperation. They fly in suitcases full of U.S. $100 bills every month. And every single month, those $100 bills are being given out one by one by one to needy families in the Gaza. This all comes from Qatar. Um, Because there's no banking system that's working in Gaza that could be available to process that kind of money if it were somehow transferred to people's bank accounts. Too complicated. Qatar has said that they are negotiating about the hostage. That's what that's what um, they said. Um, uh, Israel is really stuck with this issue about the hostages. Israel will, and, and, and remember that the parents, the mothers, the wives, the husbands, the brothers of these hostages are on Israeli TV as we speak, crying, mourning, asking the Israeli government to do anything possible they can to get them back. Now, is Israel going to say, as far as we're concerned, these hostages are dead already. We're going to go in and bomb the hell out of Gaza, and we're not going to be held back by the presence of hostages. Could Israel say that? No. They have gone to extraordinary lengths, in Lebanon in particular, To get back people who they shouldn't have been there in the first place. Never mind mind, uh, uh, getting back innocent people who are kidnapped. So I don't believe Israel's the hard right in Israel is telling the government, forget about the hostages, just bomb the crap out of the Palestinians. I don't believe Israel is going to do that. What I believe is Israel will open up the jails like they've done before and really try to release as few prisoners as possible and they will end up emptying out the entire jail system of all the Palestinians in those jails. And they will let them up in exchange for the hostages. Uh, If you ask me my opinion, if, if the Palestinians agree to give out all the hostages in exchange for Israel opening up the jail and letting everybody go, Israel will have no choice but to do that, if that happens. The Palestinians are holding the Israelis as human shields. Uh, They say, if you bomb Gaza, your chances are you're gonna hit some of those hostages. So it's like a human shield uh, situation. Israel has to figure out what to do even in that sense, even before going into negotiating. So so this is really a hard problem for Israel uh, to try to deal with. And of course, there's going to be opposite opinions in the country over what to do. You know, uh, you know that's the way it is. But if it's your, because Israel is so closely tied and everybody knows everybody else, you Know with one degree or two degrees of separation, half the country knows those hostages, and uh, it's somebody's cousin, somebody's you know, brother in law, somebody's uh, neighbor, somebody's son. So it'd be very hard for Israel to say, Forget about the hostages, we're just going to go in there and,
1: and do whatever we want to do. Yeah, over no, there. No. It's hard to who are advanced online. That's true. Correct. That is correct. That is correct. And
0: even,
2: you know, not even so much, even like being afraid to say anything for that reason, but there are there are um scientific polls that are taken in Gaza by Palestinian statistical authorities asking people anonymously, what do you think of Hamas? Their level of support has been dropping steadily. So this could also be one reason why they put this off, but that is the case. For sure, it's a dictatorship. For sure, they don't have a free press. For sure, they don't have a free court system. For sure, they throw people in jail that they don't like. And they control everything so they can make someone's lives miserable. They can, for example, not give out that welfare payment that's received uh, from Qatar to give out to the citizens. So it's not easy to be in opposition in Gaza. And remember, by the way, not only are they a nationalist organization, they're a religious organization, right? They're part of the Muslim brother. So if you're a feminist, if you're a gay, If you don't want to walk around without a hijab, you know, Gaza is not the place to be, to put it like that. Um, But at the same time, there's very few people who would say, we would prefer Israel to rule over us in Gaza. There are very few. They're more like that in the West Bank, because they have more ties with Israel, because they work in Israel. But in Gaza, uh, there's not many people
1: who are who are of that opinion. Someone else I saw hand over there. Yeah. Uh, no, but
2: there were also reports that they took dead dead uh, Israelis. They had killed back to Gaza with them. So not just live people, but dead people. And why did they do that? So, so there's two there's two kinds of explanations for that. One is that Israel has proven that they're willing to pay a price to even get dead people back. That's one. The second thing is that they are want to show their own people, look at what we've done. Look at what we've accomplished in her Here are here's our proof. We have dead people right here. You no, know, that's the second thing that they the second uh, idea that they have. But, but
1: yeah but
2: they're also growing agents which the ARM. Yeah, they yeah. Them? They 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 put them in that's right. I mean they showed on TV how they kill people, you know, like, like slaughtering them like animals with a knife at the throat and broadcast it on on Facebook or on social media. So this, this is definitely a kind of a pent-up resentment against Israel that they are showing that at last, and even for a short time, we are the bosses. We control the events.
1: Yeah, I I absolutely
2: uh, he will face the political consequences sooner or later um I believe mean, that's for sure uh there is no way that he could show his face in the next elections so uh, you know my thinking either is he will quit soon or quit later, but he's going to quit. And if he doesn't, if he stands in the next election, he'll be massively defeated. Well, the jail, the the threat of him going to jail is sort of before this is what was keeping him in office. Um, Like I said, at this point, there's nothing that counts more in Israel than winning this battle and, and, and you know, uh, restoring the confidence in the military that Israel lost for a bit. Uh, You know, his, his jail issues are like on the back page. So, um, you know, Israel has a free press. Israel has a strong opposition. And you better believe that when all of this calms down, and it will... That those those forces will be on top of the government, but there's no tomorrow. So that you know that the divisions that were there before are still going to be there. Yeah. Well, it's because you know, it's
1: because.
2: Um, the country uh, is, uh, up until now, it have, it is a strong, modern, democratic country. And um, it's able to absorb these kind of shocks without falling apart. And um, the, uh, the Arab world before this, somehow is convinced that they're able to destroy Israel as a whole. They're able to completely take over Israel. The dream is that they will take over the country and bring all the refugees back and kick all the Jews out. And this fantasy is something that has been alive in Palestinian circles since the creation of the state. I would say that the fantasy has gone down over the last seventy-five years, because obviously, in seventy-five years, nothing like that has ever happened. Um, but the actions of Hamas are, are there to try to prove that this fantasy is still a it is still alive. And you know, when Israel, whenever Israel overcomes this, this dream, it's like another failure. For the Arabs, uh, for the Arab world. And there are many Arabs, many Palestinians who said that, you know, it's time for us to to come face to face with reality. We're not going back to the Israel of 1947, to the Palestine of 1947. Um, <clears throat> there are many Palestinians who seeing how poorly the West Bank is run, never mind gas. I said, look, you know, we don't, our dream of having our own state is never gonna happen. And it's time to leave and stop about dreaming of a Palestinian state altogether. Let's somehow be part of Israel one way or another, and our lives will be better if that's the case. So there's, there's lots of power pal- and Palestinians are looking at the Arab Israeli citizens saying, look how much better they are, than they are than we, how much better off their lives are than our lives. They're better off economically, they're better off socially, they're freer. Um, they have opportunity to study in universities. Uh, <clears throat> Do you know that one third One quarter of all the doctors in Israel are Arabs, Israeli Arabs. One third of all the nurses in Israel are Israeli Arabs. More than one third of all the pharmacists in Israel are Israeli Arabs. So these people have overcome the second class citizenship that they are born into to become successful. Professionals in the country, and like I was saying, the last government, the previous government, was taking big steps to bring them into the Israeli mainstream by having their own political party uh, being part of the government. This government, of course, does the opposite. So um, uh, the uh, the fact that the people. The people who live in the West Bank and Israeli, Arab, Palestinian population are related. They're from the same families. They talk to each other. They go shopping together. They visit together. And the difference between a $1,200 a year GDP and a $32,000 a year GDP is very big. So, it's normal that there be some people who live there at West Bank who say, hey, heck with the Palestinian state. Let us be Israelis just like those Israelis, and um, you know, not be a, a, you know, subject to a corrupt administration uh, of Mr. Abbas, who steals half the money that comes in to help us. You know? Some people are thinking like that. Of course, again, if you say it out loud, you could end up getting killed. So. That's that's the way life is. There, um, anyone else? Me see me? Anyway, this is just day day three or four of this whole operation, so we can't make conclusions so quickly. Everything is still up in the air, but um, you know, needless to say, needless to say, we all wanted to end as fast as possible. With as few as possible further uh, casualties. And um, Israel will not disappear. Uh, no matter what much things, um, Israel is here to stay for a long time. And the only way that Israel can collapse is from internal divisions, not from some bunch of yawlins driving on motorcycles to kill uh, innocent teenagers at uh, a music festival. Anyway, thanks again for listening. I'll be here next